0: Hello and welcome to Megacity Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark. My guest for this episode got in touch with me by emailing mcbcpodcast at gmail.com. It's Giles Wright. Welcome to the book club, Giles. Thank you very much. Uh, a pleasure to be here and thanks for, uh, thanks for returning the email. That's quite all right, yeah. You got in touch and you're in Dubai, I think, aren't you? Correct. In uh, sunny... Well, at the moment, very sunny Dubai. I think it just hit forty-two degrees, which at one hundred and fifteen, something
1: like that.
0: Oh my goodness! All right. Well, I hope you're in a cool place. We're here recording over Skype. We do everything remotely these days. So, Giles, as you know, we start with two thousand AD origin stories. Tell us how you uh, your first introduction to the prog.
1: Well, my I still can't remember how I how who actually put the prog in my hands, but um, my first prog was. Way back in the winter of 1984, uh, it's Prog 395, uh, and I'm looking at it right now, and it's it's not a bad Prog to be starting with, um, by anybody's reckoning. Uh, stainless Steel Rat, uh, Nemesis the Warlock, Ace Trucking Company, Ho Hum, uh, The Hell Trekkers, which I always kind of liked, and City of the Damned. Um, oh, right. Yeah. I know it's controversial, and I know it was abandoned by the creators midway through, and it sort of skimps and it doesn't really make sense, but I've got a soft spot in my heart for it, principally because it was uh, it was my first read. So uh, yeah, that was it. That was um, yeah, winter uh, 1984, and I've got to say I was hooked immediately. And so obviously I, you know, once I'd read that, I tried to get as many old progs into my hands as possible just to see how. You know, the ABC Warriors got started, how City of the Dam began. This was uh, episode two, I think, was, was my first um, jump in. And as much history as I could find. And over the next few years, I mean, I just grabbed everything I could. Obviously, you got The Prog every week, uh, The Best Of, uh, 2018 monthlies, sci-fi specials, the annuals, old Titan reprints. I mean, I even tried to grab The Daily Star whenever I could for a chance of The Daily Dreads. I mean, just anything and everything and full on love affair for for four years that sort of petered out um, due to circumstance more than anything. I went to university in California and no matter how hard I looked, I just couldn't pick up the prog anywhere. So that first, um, my first sort of uh, whatever September away, uh, I had to wait for the Christmas holidays and I came back and I, I you know walked into my local comic shop and I said, hi, can I have the last 12 weeks of 2018? Um, and then I went back, but it just—it was just impossible. I mean, I could occasionally pick up a, an Eagle reprint, but it was usually stuff that I'd read before. And of course, this coincided uh, with what you aim and call the difficult '90s. So, yes. a bit of a quality drop-off, and and a lot of uh, the art droids and and the the script guys uh, moving to the states and doing a lot of work for DC. So. Yeah, I mean, that, I don't know, it was it was a coincidence of those two things. I mean, it wasn't a total severance. I still, I remember picking up uh, some of The Surfer collected. I picked up Necropolis when I heard about that on The Great Vine. One or two other books, but I don't know, the Prague just sort of faded from my life for a bit and I, I would revisit my old boxes of the Prague and, and uh, collected editions. But um, yeah, that was it. It just sort of uh, slipped away, which is very sad. Okay.
0: Silly. And then getting back to it?
1: Um, getting back to it, uh, happenstance also. I mean, uh, in 2007, I, was, um, I went to the Edinburgh Festival, and I'm not sure if this is still the case at the festival, but back then, all of the festivals coincided. So you had the, the official festival, the Fringe, the film festival, Festival of Politics, and the Book Festival all took place in the same two- or three-week period. And at the time I was dating a girl from uh, Edinburgh, oh, she, she was originally from Edinburgh, so we traveled up together for a you know a week, a week of culture. And we took in a bit of stand-ups, some political debates a bit a theater, and some book talks. And one of the talks we got tickets to was a panel with Alan Grant on it. And this was the year that he'd adapted uh, Kidnapped, the Robert Louis Stevenson book, um, oh, into right, a yeah. novel with Cam Kennedy. Uh, so he was talking about that. Um, and at the end of the talk, most of the audience wanted to get things signed and chat with Ian Rankin and Val McDermid, who are also on the panel. And Alan was sort of left on his own. So I, I grabbed a copy of Kidnapped and I got it signed and I, I chatted away with Alan. There was just nobody waiting over my shoulder. So we'd sort of just wrapping away for for quite a long time. And you know, I was going to the memory banks and trying to pick out stories that I think he'd written. I wasn't. Tr- I was trying not to get him confused with uh, Wagner stories. And all that time, I could feel the sort of passion for Two Thousand AD coming back. Um, So I was living in London at the time. When I got back to London, I think I just went straight out to Forbidden Planet and just just filled my boots. I just got an armful of collected editions. And I've more or less been doing the same ever since. So yeah, I'm full on. uh
0: for you know back into
1: it mainlining 2008 <laughs> dread in particular but um you know other other stories uh, too
0: great and how long have you been in dubai uh five years and so getting you know two thousand and eighteen material over there are you mostly digital or are you getting trades it's,
1: or uh, yeah um it's digital for progs um and i'm not again i'm not a massive prog reader I, i'm more or less um uh, wait for the trades. I'm sort of happy to happy to wait for trades. But there are a couple of comic shops over here, uh, one of which uh Shadow Comic Stop on the Al Road, if anybody knows it. Um, really fabulous. They've got quite a bit in stock from Rebellion and Titan. And they can also order more or less whatever I want for pretty reasonable price. I almost get it exactly the same price in Sterling um, over here, which is pretty great and they can get anything, I don't know, it takes about a week to deliver, uh, but, um, so I don't know, What if I'm looking at my shelves now, I'm sort of maybe 50-50, uh, collected trades, and of course digital stuff from 2000 AD. Uh, yeah, so there it is, there's a pretty, it's pretty healthy over here, comic scene, and if I can't, if they can't get anything for me, they seem to be having a hell of a time getting... Lord of lawless part one and two just cannot get that um i will i can always lean on the uh, digital
0: okay and i mean to just uh, jump my head slightly we're going to be talking about stories that came out in 2009 2010 yeah were you reading the prog at that time then after you know a couple of years after the edinburgh festival
1: uh dipping in and out but mostly i was making up for lost time with old collected editions
0: Well, let's get to it. Let's tell us, what book have you chosen to come on the book club with? Uh,
1: So I've chosen uh, Tour of Duty Mega City Justice, which
0: is the concluding half of the Tour of Duty storyline. Excellent stuff. So this is, as I say, from Prague 1649 to 1693, running from 2009 to 2010, written entirely by John Wagner. Mm -hmm. We've got art by Carl Critchlow, Carlos Ascara and his son Hector Ascara. Colin McNeil, John Higgins, Mike Collins, and Man of the Moment, PJ Holden. Mm -hmm. Then we've got Colours by Chris Blythe, Sally Jane Hurst, and J.H. Hurst. Lettered, uh, I guess we've got a bunch of letterers through here. Um, Annie Parkhouse, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, mostly. And, of course, the editor at the time, Matt Smith. Now, before we jump into it, let's just do version control, because I have to give a slight confession. Last time I did the first half of this story... Uh, episode 64, Tour of Duty Backlash, with Santiago Mayo. And we realised while we were recording that we had different collections. He had the Rebellion trade and I had the Hachette volume. And for some reason, the Hachette volume has slightly different stories in it. So this time, which one are you going from for this book?
1: I've got the collected trade in um, hard copy uh, from Rebellion.
0: And I've got the same trade in digital, which I think is a 2011 edition, uh, so I'm looking at it in digital. So as you say, it's Torah Duty, Mega City Justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's get into it. Give us a quick recap before we start. What were the decisions that Dredd and the Mega City judges took in the first part of this story to lead us to where we begin here?
1: So yeah, as you say, this is the second part of Torah Duty. You discussed a couple of years back uh, the first half, uh, the backlash with Santiago so obviously you'd, you would have to read that to uh, to find out where we are but the events begin to form even earlier uh, in the origin storyline where Dread meets his cousins in the cursed earth, the Fargos who are directly related to uh, Judge Eustace Fargo, the first chief judge of Mega City and these guys are solid, upstanding family and Dread really respects them and forms a bond with them but they are mutants so meeting them plants the idea in, uh, in Dredd's head that Perhaps the mutant laws in Mega City 1, which don't allow anybody with a mutation to remain inside the city walls, are inherently unfair. And this is something that's just been, you know, needling away at him um, for a while. So in the first part, the backlash, he pushed uh, Chief Judge Hershey to liberalize the laws. And that brings forth a huge backlash from the majority of citizens, but also the majority of judges. And it precipitates a challenge to Hershey's position as Chief Judge. An election follows, and finally, and what I love about this, in the very last frame of the very last page of the previous volume, a new chief judge is announced. And we kick off immediately with another lovely Carl Critchlow story uh, straight into this one.
0: Yes, uh, so that is, let me just check, that is the story right at the beginning of this volume, which is called Under New Mm -hmm. Management. Yeah, and as you say, lovely Carl Critchlow art, and we've got, as you say, now Dan Francisco, uh, a somewhat sort of celebrity uh, TV star judge as well has become chief judge. So that's where we've got to. Tell us a little bit, because there's a lot going on in this second volume from Tour of Duty. Tell us a little bit about some of the uh, the, the events that's going to unfold throughout this book. Okay, well,
1: I'll, I'll try and be as unspoilerific as I can. So it's a story in two parts. Um, yes, so under the new administration uh, of Dan Francisco and... We will see there's a couple of people pulling his strings. Uh, the mutant reforms are immediately reversed. Uh, there's no new admissions, and all mutants living in the city are given a choice. Uh, you can stay and be sterilized, or you can leave. And they're not just booted out of the walls, but they are given the choice to live in one of four new townships that are being built a couple of hundred miles to the west in the Cursed Earth. So, in the first act, uh, Dread is sent out to administer these townships, part punishment part exile, part because he was seen as so uh, tied up with the mutant issue. And we see him setting them up, uh, dispensing a bit of justice in The Curse of Earth, but mostly he's just stewing over his assignment. I mean, he's very stoical about the whole thing. And at one point, he even berates another judge for being so self-pitying also in The Curse of Earth. And he says, we're judges, we do our duty, and wherever that duty may take us, we go. And he sort of repeats lines along that line um, you know, a couple of three times in the book. So he's, he's willing, he, you know, he understands there's an injustice going on, but on a personal level, he thinks, I'm a judge, I serve the law, wherever the law pushes me, I'll go. But what does make it extra tough for him is that um, after a fashion, Beanie and Rico both get dragged down with him, effectively because of their leniency towards mutants, but also their closeness to him. And while he admits that he's angry, he's willing to do the job again. However, um, some uh, events pass and one of the fellow judges who's out there in charge of um, one of the other camps gets kidnapped by a cursed earth gang and after a pretty cursory effort, the search is called off, which gives Dredd the excuse he needs to uh, to go after The main uh, bad guy of the book, who's um, Judge Martin Sinfield, um, the guy that nominated uh, Francisco, is the deputy chief judge, but um, he somehow manages to maneuver himself into the chief judge's chair. So in the second act, and I really think this is where the story takes off, we see an absolutely fabulous pincer movement of two people trying to take down Sinfield. Dread, on one hand. And of all people, PJ maybe on the other side. And what is so wonderful about this book is that they both want to take Sinfield down and they're doing it in their, own, in their own way, totally unbeknownst to each other. They're operating independently, but in a funny sort of way, they're helping each other out. And so just, I don't know, the last, let's say three quarters of this book from um, the, the talented Mayor Ambrose onwards is just watching these two characters just try and mousetrap uh, Sinfield, and they're overlapping with each other, and they're helping each other out and providing providing clues and sort of um, uh, you know pushes for each other. It is just wonderful stuff to read.
0: It is actually marvelous stuff, yes. And as you say, it really uh, accelerates in the second half of this volume um, when you get the Sinfield story. PJ, maybe uh, Dread, as you say, who is. Um, yeah, I presume he's taken an action to the Council of Five over the actions of uh, Acting Chief Judge Sinfield, who he says is a disgrace to the office. I believe at various points, hasn't he?
1: Multiple times, he. Uh, he yeah. Yeah. To, to the Council of Five, to anybody who listen to uh, to uh, the, the the Grand Hall on comms, to to Beanie, to anybody really.
0: And of course along the way we've got some typical dread action, we've got him busting some heads, we've got corrupt judges for him to expose, we've got this mutant gang in the accursed uh, earth who he pursues with Rico, which is a marvellous sort of section of this book, we'll come back to in a moment. Um, and then you get some sort of PJ Maybe mayhem, while he's of course by this stage of his career he is basically mayor of Mega City One, the talented mayor Ambrose as you say. So, yeah, it's marvellous stuff. There's, there's an awful lot going on in this volume. Let's go back to the beginning because I know you're particularly interested in the consequences of Dred's actions and decisions that he's taken over his long career uh, and where his own decisions have brought him to in this story, where actually he seems to be – basically, he's on the point of complete exile from the city he loves – um, I wonder if you could say something about that and the way you know, Dread, in a way, has brought himself to this.
1: Um, yes, I mean he, he's he's very steadfast about about this mutant thing, and he, he tries once in the earlier volume uh, to get Hershey to, to um, do something to liberalise the law or or create some kind of law. Fails, and then does what he's done about three times in his career. He threatens to resign um, and take the long walk, and then. Hershey changes her mind, and you know what? He can see it's sort of growing over the book that he realizes um, that perhaps he could have done this in a better way. Perhaps he could have compromised a little bit more. Um, And, you know, again, this is the the lovely thing about this book, you really do see dread amazingly for a character who's so old, you know, he's been around for um, 30 odd years and he himself is approaching 60 at this point, that he's starting to soften. And, and change. And he, he starts to realize that perhaps he could have done this better tactically. But the core issue is that these laws were unfair and he, he won't back away from that. Um, so again, it's, it's, you know, as I mentioned earlier, overall, he is just willing to take this on the chin. And at, at one point, quite early in the volume, he thinks there's a chance I might never get back to Mega City ever again. And he he dwells on that at least three times uh, over the course of the volume, really thinking that you know Sinfield and his cronies are just in charge and there's just no way back. It's going to be a permanent exile. He might go off planet. He might become an ambassador or whatever. But he'll he'll never get back to those streets that he just he just loves. Um, but again, I don't know. He 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 internalizes all of that and he says, okay, well the law is the law and I'm just I'm just a cog. And he, he never really gets bitter until, until Sinfeld does something that he considers so terrible and unbecoming of the office that it propels him back. Um, and again, I know he, he feels terrible about what's happened to Rico and, and being in, he tries and succeeds um, in doing a couple of clever clever things to get them uh, out of exile. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's lovely to see him growing um, and... You know there's a lot of internal monologue in this and he doesn't quite question his judgment in the way that he did um let's say before necropolis and and the events of the dead man it's not quite that drastic but he it's nice that um yeah there's there's a lot of internal stuff going on and he's um, he's he's growing and, and and thinking you know thinking about his role as a law enforcement an agent
0: yeah, I mean, you've mentioned it already. There's a page early on uh, in this volume where he's spending in one of his, like, what seems to be his last night on the streets of Mega City One. And he actually says, storing up a, um, a like a battery for the long, endless days out in that uh, desolation, he knows he may never patrol these streets again. So it really does feel like Dread is on, you know, the point of complete exile. And as you said, he's got some... He's clearly got tactical now because, as you say, later on he will manipulate the situation in a way to get his followers back into Mega City One and away from this um, sort of, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, this exile, this terrible place they've been put into because of his decisions. But in terms of his uncompromising decision that he made to bring him to this point, uh, it's just remarkable, really, you know, that Dread. Because once he's decided, that's the that's that's justice. Justice is to be fair to the mutants. Exactly. And once he's made that decision, he's just like you know he's stuck on that, isn't he?
1: Yeah, indeed. He he, he sort of. I mean, this is this is obviously uh, a great flaw in his. Um, I mean, his character. Uh, that yeah. Once he once he gets down that cul-de-sac, he just he can't see he can't see either side of it. It's just this is the law, and I'm. I'm You know, I I might well be able to to sort of allow a tiny bit of compromise as as you see in the sort of final the final chapters of the book, he he will accept a tiny bit of compromise, but the the central tenet uh that mutants must be treated with the same level of fairness as citizens, um absolutely uh that's 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 set out uh, in concrete and he will not move away from that. And uh if that means that um, he's got to spend the rest of his life in Township One, then so be it.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting for a book called Tour of Duty, as you've said, dread very much. Um, he doesn't particularly like his uh, assignment, but he's determined that he will do it uh, properly, like a Mega City One judge, and that he will do his duty and not complain about it. And as you say, he pulls up some of the other judges who do complain about it, and he gives them very short shrift on that um but he's also got his followers with him he's got beanie rico's in it there's a couple of other judges um john wagner seems to have been very good at this over the last sort of 40 years of building up uh some judges junior to dread who are very good at their jobs um and because i guess he sees them as having similar outlooks to him he encourages them, brings them along with him, and they become almost his followers in a way. Um, there's several characters around still in the, uh, you know, in the world of 2000 AD that have gone through that process with dread and we see a couple of them here, don't we?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, we see, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of good time with with Rico. Um, we see uh, Judge Logan is uh, growing into his role there. I think, mean you're going to have to remind me. Did judge beanie make full eagle in the previous volume
0: i believe she did yes she starts out as a cadet at the start of that book and she becomes full eagle during that yes yeah, so
1: it's it's yeah you're right it's um it, there's there's some some people that he's really taken under his wing literally beanie and, and logan uh somebody else um judge Rigo, who's his uh, clone brother clone son clone cousin who knows what what they are um, uh and he doesn't really need to be taken under his wing cuz he's just he's just so sort of this this fully formed super judge which is superb and and so so similar to uh to 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 Joseph Dredd. but again you know uh absolutely of the same mindset and uh he he really blots his copybook with sinfield uh by I don't know, you know, uh, failing um, one of Sinfield's uh, or Sinfield's favourite um, when he is assigned to uh, take the final uh, judgment on a new cadet that is that is passing through. who has got a special connection to to Sinfield, and he himself gets exiled. So yeah, it's it, it's great. And there's, there's there's a couple of other uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll get to it later, but there's another couple of just minor characters in here, half a dozen of them that are just so well fleshed out sometimes over the course of three frames that um you know it's a real testament to uh, to Wagner's writing really really wonderful stuff really great cast of characters here there's probably thirty named characters that have all got um a lot more to them than just uh the usual two
0: dimensions so you've mentioned Rico you know Dred's clone uh, who's taken the brother taken the name of dred's brother um and of course. As you say, there's a there's another judge who's been captured by this mutant gang. He's not particularly an exceptional judge. In fact, he's got lots of failures. Oh, he's
1: terrible. He's, he's
0: just a, he's, he's terrible. terrible. That Dredd disapproves of him, but because he's a, ju- a mega city judge and he's been captured, and because Sinfield has more or less abandoned any more rescue attempts, Dread and Rico basically set off by themselves in pursuit of this mutant gang. Uh, the Pink Eye Gang, and the the sort of interplay between the two clones, who are just... It's just marvellous. It's almost... I know you said this in one of your emails. It's just like they're almost telepathic, aren't yeah, they?
1: Yeah, it's it's sensational. So this
0: is... Um, the sequence is called Gore City, which almost sounds like a
1: an Italian gialli film from the 70s, uh, but it's not. It's, it's in an underground city that's named after Al Gore, of all people. Um, and it's... You know what? What's great about this is it really could have been a pretty standard dread narrative you know outnumber judges on a mission to take down a dangerous enemy and they triumph in the end but what just really elevates this to the heavens is the relationship on display between Rico and dread it's 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 incredible I mean um, they're clones they' are exact duplicates of each other and and dread does say something here that he says we don't get to work together very often um, you know Justice Department doesn't like to to uh, waste resources by duplication or something like that. Uh, but here he's sort of, you know, this is not, you know, he hasn't done this since the um, uh, sort of blood you know, brothers of the blood, which is quite a while ago. And In that whole sequence where they're just they're pursuing the the this pink eye gang through this underground city, they're thinking the same thoughts. They're finishing each other's sentences. They're anticipating each other's moves, and they're just working perfectly in sync with each other. Um, They're they're kind of goofing around with each other. Rico's making a lot of um, uh, jokes at, at Dred's expense, and he. You know, for a man who's not not known for his sense of humour, he um, he he's 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 playing the straight man, but he's he's like he's returning uh, the gag, which is which is just amazing. And then weirdly, there's a moment right at the end, at the climax of this story, when the Dread and Rico are facing off against against Pink Eye, Pink Eyes is he called? Um, and the way that McNeil draws them, because he just draws both characters, and obviously they're clones. With a helmet on uh, and the and the big chin, and there's a there's a sort of a nine panel sequence where neither neither judge's um, badge is shown, and I've read this about six or seven times this this panel this uh, page, and I honestly couldn't a hundred percent tell you who is who at any point, and I don't really care because they're just they're both the same guy. It's it's the same extension of you know the comportment the book of the law and just that lack of lack of compromise and just that that force of will to get through anything it's 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 a brilliant sequence
0: it is it's an astonishing part of this book i mean it's not really the main thrust of this book it's this interlude where they're off on this mission to rescue uh judge munn i think he is um and but it's just so marvellous, isn't it? Dread and Rico, uh, as you say, they just uh, they finish each other's sentences. I love a, I love a show or a comic where you see, uh, like the detective figuring stuff out. And when you've got Dredd and Rico who both do this stuff, both look at things, look at clues, look at set-ups and figure things out before before the reader does, it's fantastic. I just love it. And the way they both do it is amazing. And, of course, we've had Mike Collins doing um, some of the Pink Eyes gang artwork, but then Colin McNeil comes back and takes over as well, which is just wonderful stuff for this uh, Dredd and Rico hunt. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is. It, it's superb stuff. And actually, to, to that Collins sequence, um, I've got to say, I mean, even that is that's that I think is the most disturbing part of the book for me, um, because this is Dredd on his own. He he leaves. He locates the Pink Gang, sends a message to Judge Beanie saying these are my coordinates. But then he goes in. So the the, the Pink Gang are this. I don't know. There's maybe thirty of them, thirty or forty of them, and they are there. There there are a bunch of baddens. Um They are murdering their thieves. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, I think there's at least two cases of sexual assault, if not rape going on in this um, in this sequence. And Dredd nails them down to this, um, this township, and it's at night. And he just talks to himself, doesn't discuss it with anybody else. And he says, okay, um, they're in there. I should have done this before, but I have now decided that every single one of them must die. And he goes, I mean, I know that this is the beauty of Judge Dredd uh, and the justice system that you are judge, jury and executioner if need be, but whew, he just—he doesn't discuss it with anybody else. He doesn't say it out loud. He sneaks into this town at the dead of night and just starts killing all of these gang members and at least two of them, he kills while they're asleep, he, you know, he strangles a couple of them, He shoots one of them when he's passed out drunk on a table. I've got to say, I mean, it's really again. It's I mean, obviously this is um, uh, Wagner at the top of his game, and it's he's, he's been doing the character for thirty odd years. But it's it's really really dark stuff for Dread. I mean, the only analogue I can I can remember is um, there's a lovely if you remember it from the mid eighties, there was a lovely three parter from the prog called The Law According to Judge Dredd, a very rare Kevin McNeil Dread where Dredd goes into the cursed earth and he finds this town where uh, there's a bunch of mutants who've, who've happened upon a magazine story about Judge Dredd and they've, they've thought this guy's the greatest guy ever. And this cheap mutant has fashioned a badge and a uniform and a helmet and called himself Judge Dredd and is dispensing justice in the town. But, but he's, he's obviously, he's, he's kill crazy, you know, littering, death, passing through the town, death, you know, wearing, wearing socks that don't match his shoes, death. Um, And Dredd comes in and listens to this guy and then in the courtroom that's been set up Dredd stands up and says I have decided that you guys are an absolute disgrace and You must die Takes out his lawgiver and just starts executing them and at least okay I mean that's sort of similar to what's happening here but at least he stood up in a court of law Jerry-rigged of course, but and delivered the sentences to their face and then started started passing out judgment, but this is—I mean—it's dirty, dark stuff. So I mean, I don't know whether this is dread going through. You know, he's exploring the depths of his soul here, but I mean, I don't know. I—I've got to say, I didn't—I didn't really like him in this in this one. As much as this Pink Eye gang are total wrong-uns, and I think the world is a better place without them in it. Just the fact that you're. Whew, you know, you're you're killing people in their sleep. I mean, it just doesn't sit right somehow.
0: No, I mean he is of course judge, jury, and executioner, and that's what he becomes in this particular chapter, isn't mm. it? Uh It's quite yeah dreadful, isn't it? Uh, and I do remember that Kevin O'Neill one because of course there's the famous Kevin O'Neill cover of the mutant creature wherein the Judge dread get up with a bolt-on chin. I seem to remember. Quite right, yes, well. And of course, just to go back, Mike. We'll just do a quick art note, or I will. Mike Collins. We don't get to talk about him very much on this podcast, and he Ill- illustrates a lot of the sort of middle section of this book. And I'm particularly taken for some reason with Judge Beanie, who I would guess Judge Beanie would actually have a very sort of severe functional haircut under her helmet, but Mike Collins draws her with these little sort of flicks of hair, like the Eon the uh, Eon Flux character on yeah, her cheeks. That's right. You know, so. <laughs> We've we've mentioned Ian Flux recently. I just I just quite like that little touch there on Mon Beanie because of course we get to see her with her helmet off, which we can never do with Dread, of course. Um, but there we go. So that's Mike Collins. It leads into Colin McNeil, Dread and Rico, the clone stuff, um, the marvelous. As you say, it's almost a gag fest between Dread and Rico, with Rico being doing the jokes and Dread just taking it. But it's great interlude in this book, isn't it?
1: It's it's, it's marvellous. I mean, again, like I say, it, it could so easily, in the hands of a less good writer, have just been, you know, just just sort of, you know, meat and two veg. Um, hey, we're just going after a gang. There's, you know, we're we you know, we're gonna we're gonna, you know, um, individually, uh, take out each each member of the gang, and then we hit the boss, and we overcome the boss, and then we return home great job done, but really elevated by the art, top notch, and yeah, the interplay between Rico and Dredd is just something else.
0: Okay, let's turn back from Pink Eye to um, the main villain of this book, really, a deputy chief judge, Martin Sinfield, uh, who has, you know, we've given away, or I have given away already, will become acting chief judge because of uh, Francisco's illness during this book. How is sinfield as a villain as a sort of antagonist for dread throughout this uh these two volumes or this one in particular
1: um one of the greatest villains of all time <laughs> and i mean I, I say that uh you know with every understanding of, of of the great villains but what so sinfield martin sinfield i think this is the first time we've ever seen him is that right in this in tour of duty
0: Yes, I believe it's *Terror duty is the first time we come across him, yeah. So
1: he is the former head of traffic, and then after that he went on to head administration, and then according to a lovely, a lovely sort of snidey aside by Rico, he, quote, pushed a pen around genetics for a few years. So it's not clear that he's ever actually spent time on the streets. I mean, he's about the furthest thing from dread that there could be in the Justice Department. Um, because, you know, for dread, being a judge is not just... Uh, the greatest privilege on earth, but it's it's a vocation. I mean, that's why he only spends 10 minutes in a sleep machine every day. I mean, sometimes 10 minutes every two days. And it's the reason he no longer keeps the apartment in Rowdy Yates, because, you know, the streets need him as much as he needs the streets. And Sinfield has, his, has a full night of sleep every day. It just, I mean, that type of thinking is just leagues away from from Dread, and there's a there's a wonderful moment. I think it's one of the most devastating lines in this book. Late on, when again, Dread's being sent back because he keeps ping ponging back between the townships and and Mega City One, and he's having an internal thought to himself, and he says, "The pen pushers, the eight hours natural boys, are running the show." And I mean, I, I just I can't. I mean, that must just destroy somebody like Dread. That. The person, you know, who's chief judge, and then, hey, what do you know? He's nominated five, you know, similar guys on, on the uh, on on the council, who are just like him. Is just he's getting a full night's sleep every night, and you know he's not just going straight to sleep. I mean, I I, I sort of picture Singfeld waking up in the morning, having an hour-long breakfast, doing the crossword, maybe catching an hour of uh, you know try D in the evening, maybe reading a book. I mean, he's just punching in and punching out, and that This must just horrify, um, dread. And, and this is this is you know the the, the great thing about this is is that dread doesn't really know because of this. Dread doesn't really know how he can sort of get his hands around Sinfield because you know you you, you know you think about um, previous encounters with with, with big villains. Uh, dread just identifies their Achilles heel and he takes them out. You know the Dark Sisters. Destroy the bridge to will, Nero Narcos, neutralize the robot army. Cal, stop the brainwashing and get the other judges on board. But for, for Sinfeld, he's so oleaginous. He doesn't actually, apart from one major crime that he commits, but we don't find out about that until the end of the book, um, he 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 doesn't he doesn't do anything wrong. He's just one of these. I mean, Eamon, you work in a giant bureaucratic organization, and I've worked in big companies in the past, and you know what it's like time after time. These sort of middle brow, middle managers sort of rise without trace. And they they somehow master the greasy pole of office politics and get to the top and then appoint a load of their mates and you know, what do you know, they're they're suddenly in charge in a totally unassailable position. I mean, Sydneyville hasn't done anything necessarily wrong. So it's kind of difficult to go to grips with him. And and yeah, I mean that's that's why he's such a, a formidable victim for dread.
0: Yeah, it's, it's fascinating because I like how you describe him as a middle management uh, villain who sort of, like, succeeds and rises to power or, in a way, manipulates himself his way into power. Um, you know, Dredd, you have mentioned he's clashed with chief judges famously in the past, obviously Judge Cowell, Judge Magruder, who starts out as very, sort of, like, um, serious and judge-like but becomes increasingly deranged as she gets older and gets mentally unwell, Um of course Dredd's had his famous clashes with Chief Judge Hershey over the years, uh, often as you say, try threatening to hand in his badge that she says he'll never give up. Um but Martin Sinfield, this this greasy chap who pushes a pen, as Dredd says, and has somehow risen to power, but doesn't seem to do much to actually reveal his villainy. You know, it's um it's very subtle. He is this seem- seemingly this ordinary uh mid ranking judge who's suddenly become chief judge through his own manipulations and it's only really dread I think who spots you know what he actually is. I mean even Dredd's followers, although they've been exiled to the um the cursed earth with Dred, they just see it as like, you know, oh well it's something that happened, uh it's what judges do, let's get on with it. But Dred sort of particularly with the uh the not sending a rescue for Judge Munn mm. uh I think he sees into the real man, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, maybe. And well, I, yes, and I, but I, again, I, I would I would suggest that Sinfield isn't isn't malign, uh, unlike so many of of, of Dredd's, uh, previous um, uh, antagonists. Um, yeah, I, I think he did call off the the search for Judge Man. You know, a judge that had been kidnapped by a gang um, who represents Mega City One and must at all costs be brought back. And worst case scenario, you will at least bring the body back. And yeah, Sinfield. Uh, Organised um, uh, a rescue, and then I don't know what it was. Or was it within hours or half a day, a day? Cause it off. But I don't think he did that because of his inherent evil. I think he just did it because he's sort of incompetent, stroke, disinterested. You know, because I mean, again, I don't think this is the other great thing about Sinfield is he doesn't really have any massive ambition. I mean, you know, again, previous bad guys. You know, had horrendous goals. You know, Backman wants to reshape the whole city in her image. Oswin had a takeover plan. Kazan, you know, wants to wipe out half of Mega City One and enslave the rest. But Sinfield just kind of wants to run the place that any, the way that sort of any middle manager would do. I mean, I know he's vainglorious. I know he's petty. I know that kind of affects his judgment from time to time. But he doesn't. He doesn't threaten the city. And I know, you know, I know. Okay, I know. There's, there's a lovely moment over two pages late on that he does show nastiness against a mutant couple who are sort of holding out. They're the last people in a in a city block that's being that's being rezoned or abandoned, and they won't leave. And and he and his his clone son like come up with some dastardly plan to get them out. But it's kind of low frequency nastiness. Uh, I mean. (laughs) You know, it, it, it wouldn't be my ideal out you know uh, outcome, but it, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if Martin Sinfield was Chief judge for ten years. I mean, it's not like the city is going to uh, be taken over or fall into disrepair or, or the massive outbreak of some terrible disease or anybody's enslaved. I mean, again, if you will just allow me a mild spoiler, Eamon, uh, we do run into Martin Sinfield again in a few years' time and he's actually a very calm, very agreeable person, happy just to take his punishment and do his time, and not buck, um, it's, it's, it's amazing. He's, he's, uh, he is a really bad villain, but not in the way that you expect, and not in the way that, I mean, any one of the number of villains that I've mentioned and another dozen that you could you could name are foils for dread. It's, that's what makes him so great.
0: He would, as that you know, that slightly dangerous phrase people use. He would make the trains run on time in Mega City One, wouldn't he? And he would balance the budget.
1: Well, that was what he was trying to do with uh, Ambrose, of course.
0: Yes, trying to balance the budget, making all the, the numbers add up. Yeah, it's as you say, it's strange because Mega City One would probably run quite well under Sinfield, apart from he does have some slight. Um, or lack of comportment as dread would oh. see it and of course we find out as this book goes on that he has as you say broken the law to get where he where he is nowadays oh to get where he is um is he is he more successful now for the sort of modern era of dread as this slightly more believable bureaucratic uh, opponent rather than say, you know, some of those earlier I'm thinking particularly of Cal, and we will get to the day the law died on this podcast at some point. But I'm thinking of Judge Cal Chief Judge Cal, who was very, you know, he was the early era of dread. It was very pantomime stuff in a way, wasn't it? Sure thing.
1: I mean, again, you know, I, I don't obviously Cal is, you know, one of the one of the first mega epics is one of the greats. Um but and, and yeah, he's he's a he's a cool character and he did great stuff that still lasts to this day. He built the wall, for heaven's sake. Um imagine that. Uh has anyone had ideas mm. to do that these days? Um yeah. and uh but at the end of the day, and no disrespect to uh, to the writers, but he is slightly two-dimensional. Um he's based on obviously um Caligula who who ruled over Rome, and he's just you know, he's just mad. In fact, there's a there's a Judge Cow reference right at the end of this book where one of the judges says, oh well at least Cal had madness on his side as a as a as a defense. Yeah. So yeah, I mean Cal is just he's cool and he looks great and he does some nutty things and he's he's pretty clever. But he is kind of two dimensional and he's just, oh what what you know, what do you know about Cal? He's insane. Whereas Sinfield is, you know, he's this multi-layered like <laughs> middle ranking bureaucrat. Um, not big on imagination, as, as as Logan calls him, but at the same time, happy just to run. I mean, you know, he was head of administration, right? I imagine he would just run the city like he ran administration, so they'd be they'd never run out of paper clips. But um, no. he would, uh, you know, there'd be nothing special ever going on. In fact, you, you might even say that the average citizen might not even notice that there was uh, a new chief judge in town.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, there must be a fascinating article to write about all the various chief judges of Mega City One from the last uh forty-three years, because <laughs> there's been some um, there's been some characters along the way, haven't there?
1: Maybe you you could put that to Santiago. He'll he'll.
0: I think Santiago's our chap. Actually, he probably ought to write that article. Yeah, quite.
1: Favorite chief judge since we're talking about him.
0: Uh, For me, I guess uh, I always loved weird and wacky Magruder. But, of course, I think Hershey's probably the one who's best at it. But, yeah, Magruder was great when she was uh, younger and uh, had all her wits about her. And then as she gets older and crazier, she's also a fascinating character as well. Yeah, quite. What about yourself?
1: The the same. I mean, if, if only for that lovely moment in Necropolis when her and Dredd are on the hover ship, and uh, she dials into the Grand Hall. They identify her by, by either by her teeth or by her speech pattern, I can't remember, and then um, she she tells them, you know, she hey, jump to it, do this, do that, you, you know, um, Judge Silver's gone, so I'm your chief judge now, uh, get on with it, and then clicks off the video link and turns to Dredd who's just at her right-hand side and said, um, see, still got it. And then Dredd, again in, in a very humorous um, comeback, which you don't get from him. He says, "Well, some things you never lose." Uh, yeah. So just for that, for that moment, Magruder's
0: my chief judge. Fantastic. Uh, I love. The, we, we're sort of going back to earlier books, but I love the moment where they meet in the cursed earth. And she doesn't recognise him initially and they're playing the name game or something. And he calls her. Dread in a rare moment of humour, refers to her something like, you know, mad-eyed, snake-haired, crazy woman from the Cursed Earth or something like that.
1: Well, well then follows it up with another joke, which is his second choice of... Uh, his second guess of name is Rumpelstiltskin.
0: Yeah, the classic name game joke.
1: Hilarious, right? I mean, for him, it's... It's, it's like a blue moon,
0: right? Yeah, absolutely. So... John Wagner's writing. You know, recently I've had Stacey Whittle and we've talked about The Pit, where it really seemed to me the start of the dread procedural uh, era with Wagner. And here we are about 10 years later than that, or or a bit longer, I guess, with this story. And Wagner is just doing this stuff so well. The minor incidents in the camps, um, you know, dealing with... Some backhanders that's going on. Dread just being dread. Uh, his followers also working so well out there. And then of course that marvelous Dread Rico interlude we get. Plus we've got all the stuff going back on in the Hall of Justice. And it's just, um, it's like plate spinning. It's how Wagner keeps all this going at the same time. It's just incredible.
1: Yeah, you're right. And, and again, we haven't really even touched on on PJ maybe. We really haven't really touched on the on the internal machinations of. Uh, the chief judge's office, or indeed the little B story about Judge Francisco. So there's everything you've just mentioned, and there's another sort of four storylines that are all going in, into interweaving. Um, and in fact, I mean, there's, there's points in this in this story where Wagner changes POV panel to panel, which is a, a really terrifyingly difficult thing to do as a as a writer. And yet he pulls it off with it's just it's just seamless, it's flawless. You know, you never you never get confused. Never do you think, oh, is PJ talking about himself now, or, or are, we, are we in Dred's head? It's it's just it's it is. I mean, it is a, a tour de tor- force. This book.
0: And of course, you know, we've mentioned uh, Sinfield and Dred's relationship. When Sinfield believes that someone is trying to kill him. Um he calls for he says he realizes he needs the best possible judge on the case, so he sends for Dredd, uh, who at that time is pursuing an action against Sinfield through the, the Councillor Five. But Sinfield still calls on Dredd to investigate the case because he knows that he's the best they've got.
1: Exactly, exactly. I mean again at the end of the that that investigation, Sinfield does say, Hey listen, we worked this out, we seem to be on sort of well, not even not maybe good terms, but better terms. Why don't you just stop this silly legal action you're bringing against me? But that's at the end of it, At the beginning of it. He just, as you say, he just, I I, I think somebody's making an attempt on my life, multiple attempts on my life. I need the best investigator Justice Department have. Get rid. He just doesn't even think twice about it. I mean, there's nothing, there's no There's no sort of compromise or, or, or you know, possible thinking that um, there might be, anything wrong with that. He knows that he can call on Dread and Dread will just put all of his thoughts about sinful to one side, investigate the crime, more than likely solve the crime and then
0: get back into being Dread. Amazing. It is amazing stuff. Now I'm going to take you on a slight detour here into uh, books without pictures for a moment. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Patrick O'Brien's uh, Nelson Navy history sort of novels uh, with the characters... Captain Jack Aubrey and Dr. Maturin I don't know if you remember that um, Master and Commander movie with Russell Crowe from quite a while back
1: I uh, thoroughly enjoyed it I, I have not read any of the books but I Hear great things and I understood there, to be a, there was going to be a series of movies uh, following Master and Commander which I think did quite well at the box office but um, can't understand why another one hasn't, uh, hasn't turned up
0: yeah, I never got another one. But there are, I think, 20 books in the series. And there's two things I take from it for this particular discussion. One is that Aubrey has his own band of followers, people who sort of like uh, stuck with him through several um, adventures and novels. But the other thing is that I think Patrick O'Brien realises when the book series starts to become successful is that Aubrey, in a way, can't progress up the ranks... To become a commodore or even an admiral, because the excitement is in the sort of frigate action. So they leave him for an awful long time as captain of frigates, um, when he should really be getting promoted. And of course, for Dread, we've seen him become an extremely senior judge, possibly as you say, the best investigator the department has, who Sinfield calls on. And as the question of when, if ever, Dread would become chief judge himself. Now cover of this collection is a greg staples cover of dread wearing the chief judge's shield on his chest sitting in the chair and of course at the end of this book there will be the suggestion of an election with dread being put forward as a candidate for chief judge and it just i just struck me that maybe john wagner and his followers have had to in a way um Come up with reasons why Dread doesn't become Chief Judge. Why Dread has to stay pretty much what he wants to be on the streets, uh, solving cases, cracking heads. Uh, occasionally, marched into the Chief Judge's office. Um, did you? I mean, is that something you've noticed in this particular volume or in other Dread reading?
1: Um, no, I, I I would take another tack. I, I think this is just. I mean, how many times have we had Dread on the cusp of the Chief Judge's chair? four, five maybe over the last 30-odd years, and he never takes it, and his excuse is, this is my place, it's on the street, um, and he is, as you say, he's the most senior of, of senior judges. He is well-respected. I mean, if you think about Judgment Day, uh, when they, all the best judges from the whole world are having that confab in um, Hondo sit, and they decide to go and take the action um, against uh, Sadat, and okay, well, who's going to lead? Who's going to lead the who's gonna lead the, um, the group? And, and there's just no no discussion. It's, it's Joe Dredd, right? So I mean, I, I think he's just he, he's never going to get there because he doesn't want it. He truly doesn't want it. Um, and it would be he'd be wasted in there. And I, I don't know whether Wagner, from time to time, and, and there's some people who've come uh, since Wagner, hold out this this carrot as a, oh God, is it going to be this time? Is he going to be locked into the chief judge's chair? Uh, I mean, he is, he, at the end of this book, mild spoiler, he is on the Council of Five. But the good thing about the Council of Five is, you, I don't know what, they just have like a, a meeting every couple of weeks and then, boom, you're just back on the street, right? So, I don't know, just, just wag to hold that out like a little, as a little tease to us to us readers without ever thinking that he's really going to pull the trigger. I don't know. I mean, I just, I can't see it ever happening. I, I think what I do I do like about the incident in this book is that it really looks like Dread is facing Sophie's choice. It's um he can't not run, because that would mean Sinfield would stay. But he if he runs and wins, he will just be taken away from the streets or just be drowned by paperwork. Um so I think this is the closest it's ever come. You know, what happened at the end of uh Judge Carroll and the end of Apocalypse War, they're like Yes, Joe Dredd, please be our chief judge. See you later. And he's off, he just turns back and walks on the street. So this is the closest we've come, but no, I I don't buy it. I don't think this is something that Wagner's going to wheel out every five years and say, oh, maybe this time.
0: What about, I mean, you know, we've said this is a long run of progs. It's nearly a year's worth of progs. I think 44 in this particular volume favourite moments or stories or incidents from this particular volume, the Mega City Justice?
1: I will say that uh, yeah, it's it's an odd one. Um, What I really love about this, there's lots and lots of minor characters who just put flesh on the bones of the story that are dotted around the pages and act as like mini portraits. I mean, okay, you talked about um, Master and Commander. I'll I'll, I'll give you my books without pictures. I don't know whether you read any um, Elmore Leonard, but he... You do good. Yeah, I've I have read some. Yeah, uh, he's got a real skill for creating cameo characters who turn up for less than a page, you know, two hundred words in and out. And when they exit, you think, oh wow, you know, I could I, I could read a whole whole novel about that guy. And Wagner does something throughout this similar. There's there's Boots, you know, the droid that first takes the first ship out when Beanie and Dread are going to the townships when uh, the judges uh, get to. Uh, the prison camp in the coast of Earth to treat Judge Heck. There's a medical droid in there who's, who's in there for about, I don't know, four panels. And um, later on, when Dred's back in Mega City 1, he visits Francisco, and there's a couple of security detail judges guarding Francisco's room. And, I mean, a less gifted writer would have just had all of these guys as, like, two-dimensional sniffs in the background. But Wagner uses the, uses the opportunity and really pack out the story with detail. I mean, Boots gets... A really cool little line about you know he delivers a bit of like a nugget of news to uh, to, to Dread and Beanie and Dredd says how the hell do you know that? Oh uh, Justice, a hall, hall of Justice droids, Grapevine, we keep in touch. And there's a you know the medical droid makes some gag about not being able to feel human emotion there's a lovely interplay with the security guys there's a lovely moment um, let me just flick to it uh, when Dredd is inspecting um one of the camps that he's not in charge of. And he comes across, uh, again, three panels. This judge with his back to us is on one knee repairing his lawmaster. Again, I've never seen that. I've never seen a judge repairing his lawmaster before. And he says, uh, you know, settling in, Hallett. And there's a little thought bubble saying, a good man, Hallett, senior judge, busted to the ranks, assigned to the townships for showing, quote, leniency to a mutant. Just another of Sinfeld's victims. And he put Dred Luke so Hallett's still on the ground. dread puts his hand on his shoulder and says, Good. You know, okay, I'm getting on well enough. Circumstances won't always be like this. In the meantime, I know I can reply, you know, rely on you. And then Dred continues, It can't be easy playing Mother Hen to a walking accident like heck. Should the time ever come, he will not be forgotten. And all of that, combined with this just dejected, um, you know end of days look on Hallett's face, a judge we've never seen before, and I don't know whether we've ever seen since, but just this, this stony grin, I mean, that, I, I, I could read, right now, I could read a four-parter about Judge Hallett and be right. in, in clover. So that's what I love. I mean, there's no, okay, maybe Gorse City might be my favorite episode, but um, I just love the way there are lots of little sort of three, four, five panels dotted throughout the story that just just beef up this story it's so so clever and just such great attention to detail just to craft and craft and craft the story
0: it's fantastic isn't it i mean it's amazing that we've got this book of characters where one of the characters is pj maybe and we haven't spent very much time talking about him at all you know a yeah. character as large and outrageous as that but there's so many other uh, characters. And when Wagner introduces other other judges and the droids and so on, just as background characters, and they're all so beautifully detailed and nuanced. Uh, as you say, I'm looking at the medical droid, talking about, not that he fully understands emotion, damn tricky for a fellow like me. Um, great stuff, yeah.
1: And your favourite moments?
0: Well, you know, I think everybody loves the Dread Rico interlude, uh, the moments of telepathy between the clones, but I particularly... I've got this thing about Dredd as the detective. I really like the detective Dred. So when he's assigned to the Sinfield case to investigate what's happening to Sinfield, um, and it's some of his team as well. You know, There's Logan and Beanie are there as well. Um, but it's just wonderful stuff. I just love all that. Uh, we won't go into it too much because it, obviously it's spoilers. But um, Dredd on the case as the senior investigator uh, and the way he figures stuff out is I love all that stuff.
1: Yeah, me too. I mean, something that I you you mentioned the pit. Um, another uh, collected um, volume that I love is Total War, that more or less does the same thing. It just that whole thing is just focusing on what a great detective trend is. Which, as you say, from before the pit, we didn't really see much of him. We know he's a great tactician. We know he's a great shot. He's great with a nightstick. He's a great um, bike rider. Um, you know, he's a great advocate for justice, but we don't before The Pit and, and Total War and this, we never really, you know, this is his inner in a, in a, Lieutenant Columbo. He's just great at just snuffling around for, for clues and, and putting, putting things together and, and uh, nailing the bad guys.
0: Fantastic. So we've also, of course, with a 44 prog epic, we've got lots of artists, uh, some great work throughout. Any particular highlights for you? Any particular favourite artists that show up in this volume?
1: Yeah, difficult, obviously difficult to say um, enough uh, about um, about Colin McNeil. I mean, I really like, uh, what is it, I'm looking at it right now, The I don't know what, what the sequence is called, but um, where Dredd visits the prison camp right at the beginning and actually happens upon um, uh, an old classmate of his, uh, class of 70, 74, um, who's this guy... Um, Nesta judge Nesta, who's been assigned to uh, to run the prison camp And yeah there's just a really sad chilling yeah moment like just a single panel at the end of the um, at the end of the thing where where Nestor has um, taken his own life because of uh, because of something because of disgrace and Dredd just says class of 74. some go out with a roar." Some with a whimper. was it '79. '79 it might be sorry my eyes are going. Um, some with a whimper, some with the indelible stale of failure on them. Whichever way, one thing is certain, fewer of them every year. Now Wagner writes those words, and what McNeil does with that it's actually a, a power within a panel is just just tremendous. Just tremendous!
0: It is wonderful stuff, isn't it? Yes, I mean, you know, again, we've got Carlos and Hector Escara turning up right at the end of this volume, but Colin McNeil, with his wonderful work on Dread, the way he does uh, the Lawmaster and the Lights, I always love all that as well. Yeah, very yeah. good. You know, it's all great. Mike Collins, John Higgins, PJ Holden, I love as well. Carl Critchlow starts the story. You know that under new management story. Um, there's some highlight There's some great Dread artists in this book.
1: Well, there's, there's also there's a great, a great sort of multi-page sequence of um, of PJ maybe under interrogation. And there's Beanie sort of leaning over his shoulder. There's a spotlight on him. Uh, part of it is her in shadow, him in spotlight. Part of it is him in shadow, her in spotlight. It's uh, really, really great use of uh, light and dark.
0: Lovely stuff. OK, well, before I ask you the Grail page game, um, these two volumes of Dread, The Tour of Duty... How would you feel on the handing them to a newbie question? Would you start them with this, or would you start them somewhere else first?
1: Um, it would be difficult to start them with this, but it's not not bad. Um, however, I would prefer to start them. I'd, I'd do a I'd do a buy two get one free, and I'd hand them Origins and then a Backlash, and then this. But it's not bad. You kind of you can kind of jump in and you get the way if you've never read anything, you get the way that. Uh, the politics of Megacity, you get the way that the judges have control over the citizens, the internal politics of that. You could figure out who PJ Maybe is from the first volume as well. Um, and, you know, you get a, a classic, you know, that the, the mutants of Megacity one would be uh, an analogue of, of uh, a number of things that you might want to talk about. Um, Strict border controls, um, allowing immigrants in, gay rights, you know, these can all be you can you can transpose this mutant story onto a number of issues that we in the world face, uh, you know, issues that we in the world face uh, in, in present day. So, yeah, not, not bad. Yeah. I would like if you would indulge me, I would I, I'd, I'd make it a, a, a three, three for two offer.
0: Perfect. Origins, Tour of Duty Backlash, Tour of Duty Megacity Justice. Uh, and we haven't even touched on the whole issue of exclusion of, uh, yeah, of minority groups uh, and the way it's depicted and what happens when one of the chief architects of that decides it's a bad idea. Fantastic. So much in this volume. So, Giles, let's have the wonderful Grail page game. And as ever, you're spoiled for choice in this volume because there is so much great art. But if we could get you a page or two of original art, what would you choose?
1: Um, I will take... Um, so there's a, a page... Uh, it's right. It's the page right after Gore City. And it's when Dread returns to the Meg. And the, so the page before is him being shown into the chief judge's office, who... At, from his point of view, he still thinks is San Francisco. And then the next page is this beautiful. It's uh, so there's only three three panels on it. Him walking in and he's standing in front of the justice, the the chief judge's uh, desk and chair. Mega city one, beautiful landscape in the background. And he's standing there, chest out, you know, proud, arrogant positioning. And there's Martin Sinfield behind the the chair. It's this beautiful, big. It maybe takes up two-thirds of the page, just Dred with his big chin sticking out the way, McNeil draws his chin, um, and just chest out. And Sinfield doesn't even refer to him as deputy chief judge. You know, what, you know, what are you doing in this chair? And I love the way that in the main uh, panel, Dred's right foot is dipped down and it leads into the second panel, sort of leading your eye the second panel and and, and into the story really really great so he's in three-quarter profile um the, the the desk looks amazing sinfield looks just you know like king joffrey on the iron throne it's just um it's awesome and then you you get in two frames you get caught up with how sinfield became acting chief judge boom done exquisite storytelling and i mean flawless art
0: It is. Colin McNeil page. I mean, we've noted that there aren't page numbers in your paperback version, but on the digital, this is page 130. uh, And I will post the image, this Colin McNeil wonderful page of Dredd and Simfield and the desk of the chief judge. It's just, uh, it's glorious, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it's a a beautiful thing. And if you will indulge me um, for a second page, I'll I'll, I'll give you another one because it will be churlish um, in this volume not to pick... I call us a scatter page. So um, there's something late on. Again, it's not a particularly flashy page. There's no there's no great bit of action, but it's um, it's when dread is in the well. He's already done it. He's already he's put together enough evidence to sink Sinfield, and he's got together a group of um, he's got Bewell, he's got Niles, he's got a load of SJS guys, senior judges to come in and nail uh, nail Sinfield. And there's a lovely moment where. Um, uh, There's a master shot of the Grand Hall, and you get some dweeby little assistant who's saying, hey, these are the chief judge's quarters. Uh, I can't allow you in here without higher authority. Cut to the next frame, and there's this sneering SJS judge almost with I kind of imagine Ray Winstone delivering this line, we are higher authority. (laughs) And then there's a lovely, behind him, Logan is going through the safe, and there's a gorgeous Shot reverse shot of Logan opening up Sinfield safe, and then bingo, um, there's there's the incriminating evidence inside there. With uh, with Logan, so Logan guesses the combination because he says he's not big on imagination. Let's try the year he graduated, which is awesome. And then bam, bam, again, like the previous grail page that I picked, just you get two more panels where Logan's. It's, it's in the future. Logan's assessed, assessed all the evidence. He's delivered to Dredd and he just nails him in, in, in two in two panels. It's, um, it's great. Like I said, it's not particularly flashy. There's no great, there's no explosions, there's no action. It's just four guys mulling around an office, really. But uh, it's just awesome. Awesome to look at. Lovely smile on Logan's face. Lovely sneer on Dredd's. And, you know, we got him.
0: Carlos Ascara with his son Hector Ascara, and yeah, it is lovely, actually. I mean, you know, as we know, almost any Carlos page is a joy to behold. But this one, it's got so much going on there, and it's just wonderful. I love the SJS judge, as you say, um, who I'm now going to think of as Ray Winston from now on.
1: That's uh, that's his
0: name. (laughs) Yeah, that's him. Uh, marvellous right so we will give you those they become your your pages virtually and i'll post them when the episode comes out and stick them in the grail page gallery on the facebook page i'm going to add in a colin let me just say actually that was page 248 in the digital version um, if i jump to page 14 which we did mention briefly at the start because this is Dred's last night on the streets possibly before his exile to the uh the mutant townships ...or to the cursed earth, or the cursed earth, depending on what how I'm pronouncing it. But it is Colin McNeil. It is a law master, um, a classic law master with the lights coming at you. There's a bit of dread, busting heads as ever, um, solving cases, and just this grim ri- realization of his voiceover, which drifts down from top left to bottom right. Uh, in these captions that he knows this he may never patrol these streets again just such a moment for dread that you know his own decisions have brought him to this but as you say it's his duty he's going to do it to the best of his ability uh even though he doesn't agree with the policy that's brought him there so i'm going to pick that page it's just marvelous yeah
1: excellent so so much going on and again you asked could you give this to a newbie i mean you could almost give this page to a newbie couldn't you You've got yes. You've got dread. You've got internal monologue. You've got the law master, as you say. You've got him fighting some kind of either religious cult or sex worker up there. He's taking out a massive robot. There's a scuffy surfer in there. He's whacking out a couple of um, bank robbers, and then there's that lovely just. I mean, you've got his grimace in in close up. You've got him choosing. Um, I don't know which bullet number two would be on the, on the lawgiver. Um, would that be a ricochet? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, you, this is almost this is like dreaded miniature in this page. It's uh,
0: it's quite something. It is fantastic uh at the end of the book we get a gallery of some covers so we've got a pi par cover from 1649 neil roberts cover of the lawmaster on 1659 and then there's a ben wilshire cover of dread standing in the rain cover to 1681 uh with purples and blues and that's a fantastic image as well i'll post that when that comes this comes out because uh that's a glorious image at the back of this book isn't it it.
1: lovely lovely yeah
0: tour of duty mega city justice is available from 2008 store 19 pounds 99 in hard copy or 9.99 digital as ever and it comes highly recommended by giles and myself and santiago with the first volume as well and possibly as you say with that little starter pack of uh, origins and then these two
1: superb stuff if you haven't got it already buy it if you haven't read it i envy you because
0: it's in your yeah, and if you start it after this podcast, do get in touch with us and let us know what you think. So, Giles, thank you for that. That's marvellous. Let's do guest projects and turn to gogilesgo.com where they uh, sometimes they go to 11. Tell us about this blog.
1: Yeah, so uh, sometimes 11 is the uh, is the easier, sometimes 11.com is the easier URL. Uh, this is me, uh, this is my film blog. Um, I should update it more frequently, but I've been busy. Yeah, I do. Uh, uh, Best of the Year, Best Movies of the Year roundups, and individual movie reviews, nothing more recent than 25 years old. So uh, I don't know, what, what, what kind of movies do I like from that list? Um, Japanese Noir, French New Wave, a lot of Westerns, a bit of historical drama. Yeah, it's just movies that, that catch my eye. Um, and if they're more than 25 years old, I watch them and I review them.
0: Excellent stuff. So look in the show notes for this episode for links to Giles's film site, uh, where you can read about that. And as ever, as we said, track down a copy of this book we've been talking about because it's just marvellous stuff. Great fun, Giles. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and giving up your time to do it. I'm grateful for you getting in touch. Of course. Well, thank you very much for uh, responding. Um, it's been awesome. It's been uh, a lot
1: of fun. Wonderful podcast. I'm, I'm a yeah, I'm a long time listener. It's um, it's there's some really lovely. Uh, previous um, episodes, and actually, you uh, are um, guilty. I think like, it's guilty—the right word. You're responsible for many sales uh, on <laughs> following following the uh, collected editions. I've I've uh, I've been I, you know I usually listen to the podcast, then um, sometimes pause, go and buy it. Uh, what did I do? Fiends of the Eastern Front recently, and uh, and then listen to the rest of the podcast. So uh, yeah, you're, you're you're a sales tool for Rebellion.
0: <laughs> well i don't know about that but we do like to encourage people to buy these books so that we can get more of them and keep them going and fiends of the eastern front is such a great volume as well um yeah good stuff great thank you giles and thank you to everyone for listening to megacity book club as ever find out more at megacitybookclub.com where you'll also find links to giles's film blog and you can also find the podcast on facebook twitter Instagram, the 2008 forums and on Spotify, or like Giles did email me mcbcpodcast at gmail.com if you've got a book you want to come on and talk about. And that'll do us. Until next time on Mega City Book Club, when we're passing judgment on another great book, uh, it's time for goodbyes, goodbye from me, and
1: what <laughs> an Ice right. right. right.